This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is Sox Degrees, Len Casper, Jason Benetti. And today we are, I would say, finally joined by Mr. Darren J. Jackson. You know him as DJ. He is my radio partner. He is a former Major League outfielder. And he finally was able to not duck us. And here he is. Welcome to Sox Degrees. Thank you, Len. I finally received the formal invitation. And that's all it took, you know. You waited long enough to mail it out. And once I received it, I was all in. Yes. Len, Len, I told you that those really elaborate, like highly calligraphied invitations were going to be a problem. Yeah. People weren't going to get them on time. That's right. We usually get snail mail about four months on average after they're initially sent. So uh, the bottom line is great to have you with us. And I want to start talking about Darren Jackson, the broadcaster. We'll, we'll definitely get into your playing days. But the, the, um, among the many things I respect and appreciate about you is that you attack your job probably like you did as a player. You don't just show up and watch the game and comment and tweak me and give me grief. Uh, you do a lot of homework. Uh, I'm curious to know from the start of your career, which was actually on television, to now doing radio, how your preparation uh, preparation has changed over the years. Um, you know what? It, in TV, in the years that I – initially arrived was watching Hawk and learning and in the years watching him and seeing him prep and get himself prepared for every game it it showed me what I should be doing because there was no coach that sat there and go this is what you should do is watch pay attention learn listen and I realized at that point that uh, you couldn't over prepare you know you can put as much down on a piece of paper back in those days I'd write a lot of stuff down just in case and you guys know this because it's better to be overprepared and have all this information and not get it in rather than all of a sudden you need something and it's not available. So I approached it the same way, as you mentioned, as a ball player. You're better to just get ready every single day as early as possible. That way you've got no excuse. If you fail, you say, at least I was prepared. So it really did come down to just preparing right out of the gate, learning, watching Hawk and getting some insight and information from other broadcasters helped me with my book, how to keep it the right way. And it's amazing how much help you get up here at this level from the other guys that are broadcasting for other teams, and they're willing to share with you. So a lot of information just observing and watching and communicating with others, and then it kind of grew along the line uh, moving over to radio, and this is a different beast altogether than TV, and it's, it's a lot more work. Uh, and in radio, with with your vocabulary, with talking, it's a million words. 
but also it's just you and your partner and you're painting the picture, so it's so much more fun too. You've made up a, a few great words. Yakatel is one of my favorites, <laughs> but you grew up a baseball fan. Did you keep score as a kid? So when you got into the booth, was keeping a scorebook natural for you? Some ex-players are like, I have no idea how to do this. Well, as a kid, we, we did keep score in Little League and stuff like that. We did um, with our teams. You had to help do the book at times. But that had been the last time I'd seen a scorebook and had anything to do with it. So once I got up here, um, it was not going to be traditional. You know, straight line to first base, finish at second. That's where he died out there. Mine became, uh, I mean, calligraphy up here, as, as Jason <laughs> would say. It's something that people look at and go, what is this? It's, but it's, you understand it. That's all that matters. That's it. And that's what everybody, everybody up here in the booth has their own style of doing their books. And mine is, is unique. And um, it's not like when I was a kid, for sure. What's the quirkiest thing about your scorebook? I would say that uh, the way I keep run scored and RBIs. People look at it and they have no idea. I've got little lines over here and they're going, what are those lines for? Well, that's the two marks. That's for runs batted in. And the one means he scored. So the one thing that I don't leave on there, you'd have to research, is I guarantee in your books you see if a guy was left on base. I know it if he's left on base the way I look at it, but nobody else would be able to tell. They go, hold on, let me decipher this. So it's, it's different that way. You know those inkblot tests they give people in yeah, psychology? I do. You've, done, you've made me have to look at some of them. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> they all look like sandwiches to me. Uh, I would say... I think a scorebook says a lot about your personality, like looking at an ink blot. What Interesting. Do you, what do you think your scorebook says about you? Um, it would say that I'm fun. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> and you put the trajectory of a fly ball, right? I do. Little arcs. Yep. I have. I love that. I've never wow. seen anybody do that. Yeah, it's 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 something that I I actually got from Ron Fairley. Um, Again, I mean, longtime broadcaster, former player. He came in and we were looking. He goes, yeah, and I draw a little line to show where the ball was hitting. I'm like, I'm using that. and But I do. If it's a line drive, I put it as a straight line. I put an arc if it was a fly ball home run. Or, if, you know, if it's an infield hit, I've got my little way of marking where it was an infield hit, a chopper or a bunt. I, so I can look at it immediately with the different colors I use, too, without having to think. I can just immediately look at it and know what happened without having to think. All right, I know the answer to a lot of these questions, but I'm going to ask them anyway. What offends your baseball sensibilities the most watching a ball game? Um, I, I can't stand not seeing fundamentals executed properly. That is equal to not hustling. Those two... You don't hustle, you've got no excuse, unless you have some major injury. Even if you have an injury, you should be going 100% that, that injury allows you to go. So if your leg's taped up, you should be running club foot full speed rather than jogging. Um, and if you're not where you're supposed to be on the field, say it all the time with you, said it with Jason when we've done broadcast together, it's a ballet. Everybody's got a place to be. Everybody should be moving. It should be beautiful. When you look ground ball to second base, you should have seen the center fielder come in, the right fielder come in, left fielder backing up down the left field line. A ground ball to second base means everybody's in motion, not just a second baseman and first baseman. Everybody's got a place to be. And when you look out there and you're not seeing that, it bugs me because that's the way I was taught. I was taught, I really feel I was taught the right way to play the game uh, by, by an organization and some good people that believed in doing it right. I've got another one. Well, I just I want to know real quick. Well, let me just throw this okay, in, and then please. don't forget your thought. 
taking a first pitch hanger or fastball right down the middle and a guy not being ready to hit. That bothers you too. Well, it bothers me certain players, yes. There are others that can hit with two strikes like it's no big deal. They can take it down the middle all day long. As long as you but know. most can't. No, that's the thing. <laughs> as long as you're that individual that can hit with one right. strike, two strikes. But the majority can't. You're right. So what are you waiting for? The first pitch could be a hanging slider. If you're in hit mode, if you're ready to hit, and your hands stay back, you can hit a hanging slider on the first pitch or a curveball or a changeup just like a fastball. So it doesn't make much sense to take maybe the best pitch that's going to be thrown in that at bat because you say, oh, it's off speed. That doesn't even make any sense. Hit the dang thing. So you can tell he's already getting angry. So that's perfect timing because that's what I was going to ask. There's having an opinion on what you don't like, and then there's the look that forms in your eye three seconds into both of those answers. Why is it so deep inside of you? that you hate those things? Well, because I've been around the game since I've been 17 years old, and I've been through a lot, seen a lot with teammates, um, and seen their failures and successes. And even I would say this stuff to my teammate, what are you doing? Why are you taking that? Or why did you swing at that? Or I swung at him. I took him. I had to learn how to figure all this stuff out. And what worked best for me didn't work best for Tony Gwynn. We had conversations about, hitting nonstop late night. He was different than me. I was different than him. Then we came back cross paths after we stopped being teammates, and he started hitting the way I used to, and I started hitting like he did. It's it's crazy what takes place, but in the end, especially the way the game's evolved now, Jason, the big thing is this. It's a hard game to play, and there's no real patterns of what pitchers are going to do. You used to be able to predict what John Smoltz was going to do or or Tom Glavin or some of the best, Randy Johnson, you had an idea. He's going to throw a fastball and slider, and you know it. Just when is he going to throw it? Well, now you can walk up there, and they can throw you five different pitches, and you're always going to be wrong on what the pitch is. So if you're not up there ready to hit the first pitch, good luck to you. I just like that you get salty at the end of all those. Well, like I, There's just like a – it's deep. It's so deep in you. Yeah. I, Ex-players are that yeah. way. I've worked with a million of them, and they all have their trigger points. And it's not just your team either. It's anybody on the field does something. It's, oh, I can just tell you're just exasperated. <laughs> well, it, it, it's right. When it comes to, you know, individual players and the way they hit in particular, I, I don't get as bothered. If a guy hits into a ground ball double play time and time again, he's not trying to do that. He, he fell into the trap of swinging at a slider down and in, and that's exactly what they wanted him to do, and he rolled over on it. So you've got to train yourself how to stop doing that. That takes time. You've got to be smart enough to uh, make it a self-evaluation and adjust. But, I, I, again, the two things, play hard and be where you're supposed to be on the field. Those things you can control. And if you're not doing that, I don't care what team you play for. If you're playing for the opposing team, I'm up here applauding and clapping, going, yeah, thank you. If you're doing it for our team, I sit up here and go, I don't see why they're not where they're supposed to be. It just Everybody knows where they're supposed to be, and I don't know how you got to the big leagues if you weren't doing those things right. But once you get here, why are you not still doing them? Speaking of teammates, on the website Baseball Savant, there's a little tool they have. You type in a player's name, and it shows you a visual of all their teammates. So I typed in Darren Jackson. First of all, do you know how many different teammates you had? Uh, how many candy corns are in this jar? I would say 572. 419. Ooh. Good guess. Good guess. Would you be able to name the two guys that you played the most years with? And that'd be uh, Tony Gwynn 
and let me say Gerald Clark. Tony Gwynn, it's a year off. The, t the two guys are Scott Sanderson. <laughs> really? And Phil Stevenson. Okay. You've talked about Phil a bunch. I, you know, <laughs> I misunderstood the question. I get what you're saying, yes. Yeah. Um, because we played. Most overlap. Yeah, we played different places together different years, absolutely. Yeah. Tell us about Phil. Phil Stevenson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the thing about Phil, great ball player. I mean, you know, he started at Wichita State, his brother Gene, as, uh, as his coach in college. And he was a guy that was gold glove caliber first baseman, speed guy, steal a lot of bases. And you wouldn't think that about Phil Stevenson, but he was a perfectionist on the base pass and stole bases. And uh, he got to the big leagues as a good, solid left-handed bat. Uh, but also, he, to me, Phil, he let the career get away. He, he kind of was good off the bench and, and enjoyed do, doing that, but that's a short-lived career. You know, if you're not striving to play every day and doing everything you can to get on the field to play every day, you're going to play in the big leagues four or five years at the most at those stages when we were playing because you're going to start making too much money on the bench. They bring in a kid. So um, great guy. Love Phil Stevenson. Um, good baseball man, and he's co coaching college stuff and semi-pro stuff in the past since he left ball. And Scott Sanderson is from the Chicago area and uh, had a nice, long, big league career. Unfortunately, passed away a couple of years ago. Um, Scott was one of the nicest people I've met in this game. You didn't, know him, know. You didn't I, know him on the field. I got to know him <laughs> after he retired. Uh -huh. So, yeah, was he, was he different on the field? Oh, he's mean. Really? Oh. See, I can't uh, imagine Scott Sanderson being mean. Because I never saw him in uniform. Well, you know, you pointed out, Jason, teammates with the Cubs a couple of years, and mm -hmm. Scott would come back. We just saw a little while ago a, a game on the field with Velasquez getting ready to come back from the I.L., simulated game. Well, Scott Sanderson, if he had a simulated game coming back from anything, you'd get him there, hit against him, and if you hit one hard, he put me on my butt. And he'd walk halfway to home plate looking at you like, uh-huh, you've got something you want to say? And I'm like, <laughs> I'd laugh going, I know it's Scotty. You know, <laughs> He's not kidding. <laughs> this is He's taking this serious, but – you know, at the same time, he didn't drill you in the helmet. He just sent you on your butt. And then you get up after that, and you're more motivated, and then you hit one right past his ear, and then you start laughing like, uh-huh, we can both play this game if you want. And the next best story about Scott would be this. When he came to the White Sox in 94, my first year with the White Sox, and men's spring training, and I decided I finally got the number I'd always dreamed of wearing, number 21, Roberto Clemente. Yes. And... About two weeks into spring training, Scott Sanderson joins us. And I'd heard he was coming, and the first thing I thought is, great, that's Scotty's number. Great. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the locker room in Sarasota, and Scott, I feel his presence, is standing over my shoulder to the left, and I'm like, hmm. And I kind of just look up. He's 6'6", six, 6'5", six, six, whatever Scott is. I look up, and he's, star he's staring at me. And he doesn't say a word. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, hey, Scotty. And he's just staring at me. I said, I bet you want number 21, huh? And he just kept staring at me. And I go, you can have it. And he walked away. It was that awesome. Was it? That was it. <laughs> it, was, wow. it was the best. And, no, we were really good friends, too. I mean, I'm just telling you the dark side of Scotty. But in a, because we were friends, he can do that, and knew I understood it. And I respected him so much. Is that when you became 22? 
I did. That's when I became number 22. The next number in line is like 22. I'm like, whatever. And then our clubhouse guy made sure to get permission. He said, uh, i got to get permission from Ed Farmer first. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, Ed said, yeah, he can wear it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Nice segue. Uh, Yeah. Um, I often think, as I walk around here, I'm sitting on the bus, I would give a lot to just hear one of Farmio's stories that even I, in a couple years, knew by heart. Right. What was your favorite Ed Farmer recurring (laughs) bit or story? Lord. There's no way. There were so many recurring bits. Um, I would say probably... The same stories, these little one-line stories that it would tell kids when they came in the booth. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's a, how do you spell uh, tin, T-I-N, T-I-N. He'd keep asking them, things like that. Uh, <laughs> what's, a, what's an aluminum can made of? Tin. No, it's aluminum. You know, <laughs> he did that. He did that with all these kids. Lines like that all day, every day. And you know him. This was an open booth. It was it was a revolving door. It wasn't a closed door. A revolving door of kids parading in here and him entertaining them. Um, and me sitting there hearing if four kids came in and left, five more came in. He told them the exact same stories where Paul and I, Ziggy and I would be sitting there going, um, yes, we do know these by heart. We can tune them out now. <laughs> <laughs> so and there were many and a multitude of stories that that man shared, and uh, it, was, it was amazing to watch him just be around those people. He, he took practical jokes to another level, too, right? Yeah, an unfair level. An unfair level. Former yeah. teammates, former uh, adversaries, <laughs> and uh, you could never top him, right? No, no, there would be no chance. Like if you if you gave him an exploding golf ball, guess what? You're gonna have an exploding golf clubs. All of them, <laughs> all of them would be exploding. He is going, and then you will know. Don't ever do that again to Farmio because he is coming after you. Are you a fast walker because of your years with Farmio, or was that with you before you met him? Well, I, I can say on three occasions. I my interpreter when I went to Japan uh, walked at a pace where I would have to jog, and I'm like. Coda, slow down, man. I mean, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, he was half my size. He was gone. He was the longest strides I'd ever seen. And then, and then Farmio, uh, obviously, he had something going on. He'd psychologically say he had to walk faster than anybody on the street, and he'd start racing people we didn't even know. I'd just say, good luck with that, Farmio. And then, and, and honestly, trying to keep up with you is not an easy task. Oh, that's not true. You are a fast walker, man. Only you, because I'm, I stay. With, I try to keep the pace with you. He's, a, he's striding it out. When we're uh, when we're in a hurry, he's striding it out, and I, I got a bad hip flexor here, oh, guys. Whatever. Okay, it's hard to keep. You kind of play parent though when we're going downstairs. <laughs> Put your phone in your pocket. <laughs> I I do like the visual of like in a in a '70s movie or something like pulling up to the red light, and you look through your window, and they look through their window, and you just sort of agree that you're going to race. <laughs> I like Farmio doing that on land, <laughs> on foot. Oh, you know, again the stories with him. 
the the speed walking on a stranger that doesn't know he's racing Formio <laughs> down the street <laughs> happened multiple times. Like he would be walking with me, and somebody walked past us, and he literally said, "Oh no, you don't!" And he would take off after the guy, and I'm like. Okay, I'm just. I'll meet you at the hotel, man. It's good luck. So, Jason, we have to do uh, an IDOT read. The Illinois Department of Transportation, and it's you know, be safe, don't be reckless, make sure you're cognizant when you're in a construction zone. And it's our IDOT save of the game. And every time I do the read, DJ goes, eh, "Farmio never did that." <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. Uh, everybody knows his reputation as the fastest driver in Chicago. Um, you know, and I call I there's one move I'll use, and I call it the Farmio. It's nothing wrong with it. It's a legal move, but it's not one of those things like, you know, if you're driving in that right lane that merges way up there, you yeah. got a lane closing, a light flashing, whatever. Oh, he's going all the way up to that arrow, and he's going to make sure that he gets in. And I kind of fall in line further back. I don't want to be that guy going all the way up there. But every now and then I go, you know what, I'm pulling a Farmio. I'm, this, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm going to the front of that arrow. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I have read the definitive book on traffic. There is such a thing. And they will tell you it's called zipper, yep. zipper traffic. What Farmio did and what I do, that's the best way to get the traffic moving that actually if you get in line sooner it makes it a longer commute did you know that jason i had heard that but i had also heard that there are ways to board planes that are more efficient but you're i mean you're not going to convince me that's the most moral way to do it <laughs> well, see just... that's it that's my that's my <laughs> dilemma i'm like going i don't want to be that guy right. i i fall back in line not not way back but far enough back yeah. where i mix in when there's an opening did but the, i agree with you did the yield sign exist in farmio's world uh absolutely not it meant <laughs> it meant keep going <laughs> absolutely i mean i the truth be told and i've shared this with you guys before is when i rode as a passenger with ed um, I, I just have my phone in my hand and look at my phone. I did not want to look up. I just said, if I'm going, I'm going. I don't want to see it coming. I just, because I, I was always telling him, what are you doing? I got tired of telling him what's going on. And I just do, do, do. My wife would always be like, are you riding with Ed again? I'm like, yes. <laughs> she didn't like that. Well, you know. You have a choice of either ride with Ed or, like, take a cab or something <laughs> like that. And you don't know that driver. You know Ed. That's a good point. Absolutely. You knew what the results were going to be. And I do the same thing in a cab when a guy's going zigging and zagging through stuff. I'm like, just look at your phone. It's a former <laughs> experience. <laughs> so everywhere we go, DJ has a million friends. And it's from his TV days with all the, uh, the crew members uh, engineers, obviously broadcasters, former players. Um, I'm again. I, I want to ask you about Farmio and his influence on you as a person. If you didn't work with Farmio, would you have as many friends as you do? Because he befriended everybody he met. I would, in the sense of what we do up here. Yes, because I try to include everybody that we work yep. with, have conversations with them, and all that. I did that, as you mentioned, with TV. Um, but no, not even, I mean, I have experienced things through that knucklehead, I mean, <laughs> nationwide that you wouldn't do. And when I first got in the broadcast booth with Farmio, the first year, uh, my routine was get up, work out, as you know. That's, I get up, work out, and uh, I focus on getting ready for the day. And um, that was my routine. His was get up, go play golf, then work out, then go uh, have lunch, then meet people, and then go to work. And I'm like, what the? 
dude, you've got a job to do, right? He just kept going, and uh, I, I wouldn't hang out with him. I said, man, that's too much for me. I can't keep up with you. Well, my second year with him, I had told my wife, I said, you know what? I think Ed's lonely. I'm gonna. He wants to go play golf all the time on the road. I'm gonna start going with him, keeping him company, and you know, and just go do. It. He's like, Darren, you gotta come. You gotta come. We go play golf. Best golf courses you'll ever play in this nation. Um, he had friends at every golf course, which meant now I have new friends. Um, and every time we went to play, he had friends that would meet us, and then we go to lunch after. And then I'm looking at my watch, going, "What the Hades?" We, we got to get to the hotel, get changed, and get to the bus. It was exhausting, and but I met all these people through him, um, experiences that nobody should really have because that man was crazy. He was unique, and there, he won't come across another. How many presidents or former presidents have you met through Ed? Well, I did play golf with uh, George W. Bush through Ed, uh, and... When we were at the White House, uh, I met Barack Obama, but that wasn't through Ed. That was just when we were there for mm -hmm. the World Series, and uh, he was a senator at the time and, and met him through that. But also in the White House, when Bill Clinton was in office, in the Oval Office, he got us in there. Clinton wasn't there, but we were in his office. So there's three occasions. And I'd gone to the, house, uh, the White House with Ed on two occasions prior to even joining uh, for the World Series team because he had a friend in the Secret Service. I mean, it's insane. I, I mean, I, I keep telling you to write a book. <laughs> oh, it, uh, yeah. I, I know, I mean, where, you, I know you, where the people are. If you wrote a memoir, it would be fantastic, but I do think half of it would be about you and Farmio. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and you know what? I had a lot of unique experiences with, with Hawk. Yes. We played golf together on That'd the road. That'd be the other, you yeah. know, 35%. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did lots of stuff together, too. We, you know, spend time for dinner or lunch or whatever and golf. Uh, I played played golf with Hall of Famer Jim Rice in Boston uh, because he set it up. Otherwise, I wouldn't have played with Jim. I played with some professional golfers through Hawk. I mean, um, it. I mean, the experiences of just being up here and the people you meet, pretty awesome. When was the first time you did play-by-play? -play? Um, first game that I sat in a booth with Hawk. You what? did an inning the first game. I think three. Did you really? Yeah. And how did it feel? Uh, it felt like, uh, hey, here you go. <laughs> You're taking the Have middle three. It. And, uh, you know, I'm listening to him. We did spring training. So, you know, I'm listening to him. And he's like, uh, you're going to be doing some innings. So, uh, <laughs> you know, get ready. So, you know, it's really pay attention, listen. And he really made you do the game yourself. You know, it's like. I'm here, you can listen and learn and pay attention, and then go, be you. And uh, that was it. First game was, let's go. You did the middle three in your first game? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. How, how nervous were you? Well, the, the good news is I wasn't expecting to be great at it, <laughs> so it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's like if you play golf in a celebrity tournament, I'm not a professional golfer, yeah. so I don't expect to be great uh, I relax that way and play better. Same thing if you're not expecting to be great as a broadcaster, when you're first doing play-by-play, -play, you're going to be fine. Because, <laughs> I mean, what are your expectations? You've never done this before. Give yourself a chance to learn. Hmm. DJ, what's the one thing Len does on the air that you just wish he would stop doing? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no, nothing. I mean, I, I sit over here, and as long as I've been broadcasting now for 23 years or so, 
Um, to me, he's the most prepared guy I've ever worked with. And I come in now, and I've told him this. I've said, God, I come in, and I feel like I don't even have to work. I can just do my stuff, sit here, and uh, let him give us the game and then participate. It's, it's uh, I feel lazy. <laughs> I feel like I can be just lazy over here, and I've got to motivate myself because he's so good at what he's doing over there. I just want you to be yourself. And if you can be yourself all the time, that's a win for me. And you work your butt off. And uh, you're my big brother, man. <laughs> I, you know, Jason and I talk about all this stuff. And it's just the, the, the best thing about you is that I look forward to seeing you every day. And we spend a lot of hours together. Yes. And you really want to feel that way about your partner. And, uh, yeah, that, that's the best part. Well, that's a fact. I mean, you know, Jason and I have worked uh, about four or five games yeah, together Yeah, I want to know about that experience. And you know what? It, it's funny because when Jason joined us, he's like, I listened to you when I was a kid. I'm like, oh, get out of here, you dirty pig. <laughs> Scum. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's great because we work together, and he is so fun. He's he's having so much fun just giving you the broadcast. And uh, all he was doing was teeing me up like, uh, you know, it's a Darren Jackson game show. And, and it's pretty easy to play off of that. So um, it's you know, it's so unique, right? Whenever you work with different partners, every guy is different. If you could play off of their skill set, mm -hmm. every day is going to be different because of that guy's different. So I, I've been fortunate to work with a lot of good people and, and a couple of clowns too. <laughs> so <laughs> I take that as a compliment. Uh, two things on that. Number one, uh, what would the grand prize be on the Darren Jackson game show? Oh, um, I would probably have to say a uh, used uh, piece of baseball equipment. Okay, great. I can't specify what that would be, but it'd be something. Well, if you're in Burbank and would like to be a participant <laughs> on the Darren Jackson game show, please send while to supplies, P.O. Box. supplies, supplies last. last. The, the other thing that I want to say is when, when you and I work together, DJ, uh, in Washington, that booth is, is so high upstairs, and we were having so much fun. We were sitting back. I was looking at you sitting back away from the counter, I missed a home run. Yes. I missed a Jose Abreu home run. <laughs> That's my fault. In the fault. eighth inning. It was off the bat, and I was like, something happened here. <laughs> and we kind of looked at each other, and I'm watching it fly, and I was like, it's gone. <laughs> we, were just, we were just talking. I, I felt so bad, too, because, you know, I can, I can drag you down because I like talking and having a conversation with my partner. and I do, too. And I, I got him off. I got him off cue. He's we, like, D -d -d they hit the ball. I'm like, I said, you told me to keep going with what I'm talking about. Uh, it's your fault. Well, the, the other great thing is that uh, I'll occasionally on the way home or the next morning, uh, on ESPN 1000, our flagship, I will hear some highlights. And, you know, Jason, you get locked in when you're, when you're in a big moment and you don't necessarily hear even everything you said. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to go back and go, what, what did I say? But uh, against the Cubs, I think it was the 10th or the 11th, Jose Abreu tied the game. And I said, you know, swing and a base, hit the center. Abreu ties it. It's 4-4. And all of a sudden... As I'm finishing the line, I hear, Jose, 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 Jose. <laughs> it was DJ. Really? And I heard it the next morning, and I was crying. I was laughing so hard. It was <laughs> perfect. But he didn't continue. He just did that, and then just stopped. And then uh, 
A.J. Pollock had a big hit recently against the Dodgers, and I finished the line, and I said, you know, he'd like to do damage here against the Dodgers and finish the line, and all of a sudden, how do you like me now? <laughs> I mean, the singing, that's next level. It is. That, that is beautiful. You know, and I say this to you and everybody that's listening when I do that is um, – uh, it's radio. You're supposed to have yes. music and singing on the radio, right? right? Even if it is a baseball game. My <laughs> my wife used to uh, really, really get bothered by that because her friends would call her here in the city and go, your husband's singing again. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with the Christmas lyrics? Oh, really? I had to tell you that one, didn't yes. I? Yes. This is going to be the final I, big uh, I, thing here. We're going to embarrass you a little I, bit love to sing Christmas songs during the Christmas season. I have a tendency, though, to forget the lyrics. And I make up my own. And I can honestly say it angers my wife. She says I'm ruining the Christmas songs. <laughs> she tells me, and I mean, she's getting angry, red face angry, because I'm just singing along and the lyrics are all wrong and my daughter's <laughs> doing it now. And She's like, you're not allowed to sing Christmas music anymore. And I'm, I'm trying to hold to that. It's just hard. I just, it's not easy. It's not easy being so you. When, you. when you change the lyrics, are, do they repeat, though? Like, do you do the same different version, or do you just no. change it every time? Every time. I don't know. what. It's like doing play-by-play. -play. You don't remember what you said. You just go. You find the rhythm, and you keep going. Yep. That voice you do, that that extra gear of you just go. Oh. Well, where, where, hey. does that come, where does that come from? You know. It's just like you guys. It's uh, you know you're you're in the moment. Let's go. He plants a seed where he'll start singing a song, and then five minutes later, <laughs> I'll start singing and go, "Gotcha, gotcha." But now I just all of a sudden randomly, I'm like, "We got to go." How do do do? He's got all these phrases from TV shows and things, and now I'm now I become mini DJ. It is awesome. Yeah, I I've, I've been driving. Let me say this before we, unless you have things that you want to delve oh, into. This is part here. one. We're gonna do it again. Yeah, we gotta do it again. Yeah. I've been driving around every once in a while when we have a day off or whatever it is or when I had COVID and listening to you guys. And I, I, I just think it's so awesome how easily you've meshed and how much fun you guys have together and how much joy you get from talking baseball with each other. It's an awesome thing. It really is. Well, I, I agree. And, you know, when I first heard that Lynn was coming over, um, Brooks Boyer called me and said, let me ask you a question. <laughs> um, if I were to tell you, that I can get Lynn Casper to come and uh, do the play-by-play. -play. And I said, you're a freaking liar. There's no way that would happen. <laughs> I didn't say freaking, trust me. Um, but uh, I, I, I thought he was joking, messing around, and then he was going to tell me, you know, the candidates or something like that. And he said, no, no, I'm serious. And I'm like, why in the world? I'm like, now my brain is going, and, you know, I got a big brain. So it was just like, ba-doo, ba-doo, ba-doo. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And then when I heard the, the rationale behind it and all of that, and then I started visualizing, you know, he and I working together, and I'm like, well, yeah, Lynn and I have been friends for years. We've always gone from booth to booth and asked each other questions and talked, and we get along great. I'm like, okay, if this is really happening, I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> because, you know, we already had established a relationship as broadcasters uh, over the years and all the years that we've played the Cubs and down in spring training, he's always been accessible and I can go over there and ask him anything. And he was always, he's always been that guy that's been so honest and open with information that I'm like, now I get to pick his brain every day when we're in the booth together and corrupt him as well. Very much so. He was accessible though, because sometimes you walk in here and he's looking straight at his computer 
And he's got an aura of inaccessibility. Yes, I do. I do. Well, that was before he was even doing the computer stuff back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we all have those moments, um, which we can get into more at a a later date. But we do have the, well, uh, where were we? Might have been a home game. My partner was freaking out because his, his timing was thrown off. And like 90 minutes before the first pitch, I'm like, are you good? And he's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm like, what were you worried about? And it's like so rich that I would be that guy. Yeah. Because I, I get in those modes. You, not as much, but you do have your, your time period where it's like, I got to work. Well, I joke about the inaccessibility because you're a very accessible and likable person. But when you're facing your computer, it kind of looks a little bit like... Um, like the villain in a movie looking at a screen of the world as he's plotting out the world's Whoa. demise. Boy, that's quite a visual. No, but like the, you're at the desk and you're looking at like the big screen and there's just this very stoic, like detached look <laughs> while you're typing. And it's like he could be doing anything there, but I don't know that any of it's good for the rest of the world. That's probably right. I'm better than I was 20 years ago. Really? Oh, yeah. What were you like then? Oh, I just was always underwater. Really? I could never prepare enough. Yeah. You relax as you do it more, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, we all have our pregame routines, and what Lynn's referring to is there was a day where I decided to break up my regular routine of coming up here, getting my stuff done a certain way, then going down. Um, I went down and hung out first and talked to guys. I did all this in Toronto. And, That's right. Yes, and yes, I'm yes. just down there for a long time, and now I just got this anxiety like – you know, now I got to go upstairs and do all my paperwork, and I'm not ready mentally. I didn't do. I mean, I did my pictures early, and I start. It started messing with me, and, and he's up there, is like, just relax. You got time. I'm like, no, no, man, I'm messed up now. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fine. He's yeah. like, you're done. I'm like, yeah, I'm good now. Okay. <laughs> just have to have those moments every now and again. Uh, all right, DJ. Thanks for the time. Uh, what Love a pleasure. You, and, what a uh, pleasure. We'll do it boys. again down the road. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.